From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. And even when I'm in the office, because our administration and billing office is separate from our clinic locations, and we have so many people in that office working from home, even when I'm there, it feels, you know, isolated and, and quiet. That's Mark Davis talking about the ongoing isolation and loneliness created by COVID-19. We'll hear more from Mark about mental health issues, the surge in mental health visits, and the impact that has had on medical practices. But first, a word from our sponsor. A proven payment solution for patients' out-of-pocket costs? The Care Credit Health, Wellness, and Personal Care Credit Card gives cardholders a convenient way to pay for treatments and procedures at locations in the Care Credit Network. With promotional financing for purchases of $200 or more, cardholders can move forward with the care they need and want today and make monthly payments over time. Learn more about how Care Credit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. In this episode of the MGMA Insights podcast, we're joined by Mark Davis, CEO of Wasatch Pediatrics. Mark has joined the podcast before to discuss behavioral health integration in a medical practice. He's here today to talk about the lingering impact loneliness and isolation has had on both staff and patients during COVID-19, and he shares strategies that practices can implement to address this problem. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, you're welcome, thank you. Now, first, please share with our audience the size and scope of your practice. Sure. Uh, Wasatch Pediatrics, we're a general pediatrics group based out of Salt Lake City. We have uh, eight office locations and about 60 providers. About 46 of those are physicians. Okay. Now, thanks so much for sharing that with us. Now, you and I were talking offline, a lot of issues this year, a lot of challenges due to COVID-19, give us an idea with your practice, how has your focus and your work changed this year? Yeah, like, like so many, I have a long list. We could probably take an hour just talking about that. <laughs> For sure. It is a, yeah, it has been a very interesting and challenging year, uh, and that's understated. But, you know, early on in the pandemic, our, our initial concerns were had to do mostly with patient volumes and, and finances. We just weren't sure how we were going to, to make it through and still keep people on the payroll as volumes decreased so much there back in April and May. Uh, and then, and then we, we got a little more stable. We were able to get a PPP loan through the, through the government that um, helped immensely so that we didn't have to do any layoffs. And uh, so, so that was good. And then into the summer, our uh, well visit, our preventive visits, um, you know, stayed stable and, and we're pretty much on course with last year. So that's helped a lot. 
Um, and I know some of the other things that we'll probably talk about in this in the podcast regarding you know mental health and some other things have have changed as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Now, for our uh, faithful uh, podcast listeners, they may remember you were on our show. Gosh, it's been almost two years. It was spring of 2019. We were talking at that time about behavioral health integration. You shared some success stories from your practice. So we are going to talk about some mental health issues, uh, depression, anxiety, and and other mental health issues that uh, are plaguing our nation right now. Um, It's been a challenge to uh, us for a while here in healthcare, but then it's been exacerbated by COVID-19. I want to talk with you about both behavioral health and mental health issues related to both patients and staff. Uh, But let's start with those patients. Um, What has that situation been like? Has there been an increase in mental health visits? What's it looked like for you guys? For us, there has been definitely an increase in demand and in need for those um, behavioral health visits and just overall support. I was speaking with a pediatrician just the other day, and he was telling me um, that, you know, they're so used to being focused on um, things related to growth and and development, as well as, you know, infectious disease and preventing those and, and, and curing those. And he said, lately, he's felt much more like a psychiatrist. Hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, you can, as you can imagine, kids of all ages having to go through this where they're at home, sometimes at school, sometimes being socially isolated has created really a landslide of of mental health needs. And so what we're finding is with our mental health providers, they are obviously more than full. And then our regular providers, our physicians are just doing much more mental health than than they did previously. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned that there has been an increase for you guys. How have you dealt with the surgeon visits? Have you had to make staffing, hiring adjustments to meet the demand? What's What has that been like for you? Yeah, we have added an additional therapist to our group. Uh, We have mostly been trying to handle this with staff that we already have using a lot of telemedicine. That's actually kind of been a lifesaver because um, we we can actually see, it turns out we can see more patients in a day often than we could having them come in in person. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just through, you know, coordination and, and, and sometimes visits just don't take as long. So we've been doing a lot of that. And then having our physicians more available since kids aren't as sick as they normally would be just because they're being careful and, mm-hmm. and the germs aren't spreading out there. So they have more time to deal with some of these uh, mental health issues as well. So for the most part, we've been able to accommodate it with our current uh, provider staff. Right. You mentioned the telemedicine aspect of it. What is the breakdown then as far as those mental health visits? Is it, have you gone to a hundred percent virtual or what's the divide there um, as far as that's concerned? Early on and through the summer, almost a hundred percent of our mental health visits were via telemed. Now I would say it's probably 70-30 with 70% still being online. 
Um, we have patients that seem to do better when they're in person and the, the staff, you know, understand that have kind of fished that out. And so uh, it, it just kind of depends on the circumstance, but we're still doing a lot. And we hope that, uh, that the payers will continue to, to pay for those online visits because it, it's one of those things that really has been a lifesaver as well. Right. You, you mentioned something interesting that some of the patients have reacted better being in person. Um, and I'm going to guess, and I've had this uh, relayed to me from other mental health experts, behavioral health experts, that some patients um, really appreciate that opportunity to be at home. Uh, they're already in a comfortable environment, so yeah. they don't have to get out. People certainly, if you're dealing with anxiety or other issues, it can all be triggered when you when you get out there in the world, particularly in a world where you're thinking, I may get sick, just going out to talk about some of the mental health issues I'm having. So to accommodate that, have you guys expanded hours? Have you Are you working also on weekends? What are you doing to meet the needs of this patient volume? Yeah, we have, we have flexed hours as much as we can. Um, and depending on the needs that we're seeing and based on um, availability at each office, we have been able to flex that a little bit. It hasn't been um, a huge change. We're not like working all, you know, all weekend long and that kind of thing, but we're certainly doing uh, evening hours and uh, a lot more of these type of visits, obviously during the day than, than we were doing previously. So, um, so more, although it's, it's been luckily and gratefully, it's been manageable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I sent you a study that I ran across. It was conducted by the National Institute for Healthcare Management. It was focused on loneliness and social isolation, um, particularly during the pandemic, uh, where in this study, 41% of adults reported having feeling have feelings of being socially isolated. I know that in a lot of the uh, in work environments where I'm communicating with people, they've been working remotely. I mean, you might have family around or you might not, but um, there's, there is some of that isolation. We don't quite have um, some of that freedom to move around and to interact with people that we have. So what have you, your practice, what have you been working on there? Are there solutions or strategies that you can share with us to help combat loneliness and isolation? Yeah, this has been a big learning curve for us. And even and for me personally, it's such a change, you know, when you're not interacting with people all day. And it, I think it, for me personally, it took a while to understand how that was affecting me, you know, in my day to day. And I think the longer it went on, and so I can tell you my personal situation is I go into the office usually three days a week, and then I'm at home working two days a week. And even when I'm in the office, because our administration and billing office is separate from our clinic locations, and we have so many people in that office working from home, even when I'm there, it feels, you know, isolated and, and quiet. And I think you, it begins to get to you, even though you don't realize it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> it. Yeah. I noticed that for me, it was, you know, after a while I thought, man, I feel so out of touch or, you know, just, you, you could just tell something wasn't quite right. Mm -hmm. and, and we don't certainly have the, 
the solution for any of this, but we've tried to make sure that we're communicating often more and um, trying to be more, trying to think of the right word, more present or more available, mm -hmm. uh, especially for our managerial staff so that they know we're here call or zoom and we can let's let's visit let's talk through things sometimes we've had to force that a little bit sometimes um managers will say to me oh you know things are fine and it's you know going okay and then you talk to them a little bit more and a problem comes up and sometimes you you want to say well let's let's hop on a zoom call so i can see you and let's chat through this and then it often turns out to be a little bit bigger than it than they initially said it was, or you could tell that they needed to just talk. They just needed mm -hmm. to talk through it. And that's a little bit obvious, I suppose, but I think that's been really helpful. I've tried to do a few things like um, write some personal handwritten notes to people when I know that there's been a certain struggle or a problem, or even when people have reached uh, milestone anniversaries as employees, you know, they've been with us 510, 15, 20 years, I'll write them a note thanking them and congratulating them um, just since, you know, since I probably wouldn't, wouldn't see them otherwise. So I think so much of it is communication and support and recognizing that, that we're there for each other. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, that's just huge to, to me, for sure. Right. You mentioned something really interesting there about it. Sometimes we don't even know because if, if someone has suffered from a dark, deep depression or is in an anxiety level of a panic attack, you're pretty aware of that. You know something's mm -hmm. going on, but it's when it's that underlying, just under the surface. And we've done some similar things at MGMA about what you're talking about, where we've really connected with each other. Because I, I think what I've found through talking to other people is that um, and this is mentioned in the article as well, that uh, with this particular pandemic, there's no end in sight. Sometimes when we're in really stressful yeah. situations, but you go, yes, but the deadline is March 13th. There's, you, you have a date, you have a timeline. There's some relaxation there, or at least you can cope with it. Yeah. This is just like a never ending night. It just keeps going and going and going. <laughs> How do you combat that? <laughs> what do you do to sort of get your head around it where you 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 can you can just cope with something that that seems at least right now to not have an end in sight? Yeah. Such a good question and I yeah, I don't know that I have great answers other than you know one of the things I've tried to communicate to to everyone on our team now is okay, the vaccine is here. It's happened in unbelievably short, in an unbelievably short amount of time, almost miraculous. You know, you think technology and, and the current levels of science for that. There's our light at the end of the tunnel. And it may still be a while before we can receive those vaccines and before it makes a difference in our world. But let's focus on that, that look, that there is an end out there. And Thank goodness there will be, and let's just focus on that and do the best we can. Um, you know, it's interesting too. 
one of the problems we've had is, you know, you've got people in the clinics that are, you know, they have all their PPE on, they have safety glasses and masks and so forth. And then they go back into the break room and they want to take those off and they want to visit, right, with everybody. Mm -hmm. And yet we're telling them, well, try to stagger that. Don't have many people back there. Keep your masks on as much as you can. So even when they're used to having sort of those breaks when they, they can sort of talk and commiserate and figure out, uh, how are we going to make it through this whole pandemic? We're not necessarily giving them a lot of chances to do that, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's a challenge. It is a challenge trying to keep people, keep their, keep their pandemic fatigue from taking over. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I, in fact, I've looked at resources and, and looked through MGMA materials, trying to find uh, ideas that we can use too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tough. It, it really is. And we've been touching on this already, but I do want to bring up a recent study by the American Cancer Society, and I will provide a link in the podcast show notes as well for people who want to read more about this. But this American Cancer Society study stated that COVID-19 has had a crushing mental health toll on health care workers. You've touched on some of those factors already, but let's, let's take a deeper dive into that. What are some of the factors that you've seen in talking to staff and in doing your own research? Sure. So part of it is feeling uh, a little isolated, even when you're working with people, you know, in the offices, that because of the situation, because of the requirements that we're putting on our staff, you may be there working with people, but the the interactions aren't quite the same. And you don't quite have the amount of time to just to to visit and socialize and some of those things that were happening after work, you know, before the pandemic aren't happening. And so people miss that. You know, I was talking with a physician um, recently, a different one that that was telling, I said, now, how are you doing? And he said, well, I, I've kind of been in a slump the last couple of months. It's just, you know, my practice is so different from what it used to be that I've had to really change gears and it's been difficult. Um, so I worry, I worry about the staff. I worry about our providers and, and how they're doing. Um, one of the things that comes up is folks that don't, uh, maybe they're empty nesters. They don't have have kids at home, so they're not worried about that, but they're in a situation where they may have elderly parents and kids away from home, and they're worried about them, but they're not able to really do much with them or be with them, and it, that really does take a toll. Even with, you know, in my own situation, my parents are local, so we can, we can get to them quickly if we need to, but we just don't see them as much, trying Mm -hmm. to be safe and keep them safe and it's it's hard it's hard on them and it's hard on me because i want to and they need the support and you know and, and some of the technology like these online meetings don't work really well for them so it's just a lot of on the phone and porch visits and <laughs> things right. like that so yeah <laughs> it's uh it's, it's it's been interesting and i do worry i worry about I worry about our staff and providers a lot. For sure. Yeah, you, you brought up a, <laughs> an interesting point about uh, interacting with elder 
relatives, whether it's parents or grandparents mm -hmm. or other relatives, I'm in a similar boat. My parents are both in their late 80s and it's just the two mm -hmm. of them. Luckily, they're physically healthy, but they are isolated, just the two of them. And thankfully, they have each other. But uh, we've we've talked uh, several times a week, just checking in. I, I've had some of the same issues with technology, trying to set up a, a Zoom call with them that just never took <laughs> off. It never Zoomed. <laughs> we, we finally yeah. were very frustrated and and just said, we'll just text or we'll just uh, pick up a phone and call. But uh, yeah, the Zoom was a was a bummer with my parents, unfortunately. So um, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all dealing. It's some people don't like the term new normal, but I don't know what else to call it because this is not this is not normal yeah. what we're dealing with. And uh, uh, I know from the opposite end of the spectrum, I've got a, a 16 year old and they had tried to do the hybrid school. And then about two or three weeks ago, uh, they just, they, they couldn't do it anymore. They had so many people in quarantine and what was explained to mm -hmm. us, anybody that out there that does have uh, school age children, they could have put the kids back in. They didn't have teachers and substitutes enough. They didn't have enough of them to hold classes uh, because so many of the teachers and substitutes were also in quarantine so they couldn't function that way in person for school so that is why they had to shut it down and that was really tough mentally on my daughter because they'd kind of made their peace that they had to go virtual last spring then they got back in the school and now it's been pulled away from them again so it's just sort of that yeah. Yeah. going back and forth, that mental crush there. I don't know if you've experienced anything along those lines or are dealing that with that with your staff as well. Yeah, absolutely. I My heart goes out to parents with kids at home, especially if, you know, both parents are working outside the home. I can't imagine how they are coping with that. And we have, and we have staff that find themselves in that position. And it's, rough and of course we're trying to you know be lenient and let them you know take calls more during the day than maybe we used to and that kind of thing but that's that's a tough situation you know i have a my son and daughter-in-law are both middle school teachers mm -hmm. and to hear from them it is so interesting it's been um talking about a new normal the new mm -hmm. normal for them and this is terrible is that they have a significant percentage of their kids that when they're doing remote schooling, like you said, just because the school shuts down for a while or there's quarantines or they're out for a while, um, that the kids just have checked out and mm -hmm. they're not progressing and um, trying to get them back on track, either when they come back into school in person or, or virtually is frustrating beyond what they can even handle sometimes mm -hmm. it's um boy it's been challenging and it, it makes me worried about kids coming out of the pandemic and and where they'll be with their education you know right um, it, yeah yeah and and it, and of course that spills over into a pediatric practice obviously you know you have parents that come in and and it, maybe it's just the you know a 10 year old's checkup or whatever and you just have a desperate parent saying, I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know how to help. 
or support my child anymore with their learning. You know, they're doing things that I don't know much about or I'm not home able to help them. And it's, um, boy, it's a challenge. Right. Well, I did want to, I wanted to end with that. I wanted to ask you about that. Are there, are there some final thoughts then that you can share with us about mental health, behavioral health during these trying times on what people can do to, to truly just to cope with it, whether that is someone on staff dealing with patients or if it is uh, the staff themselves who are really struggling and, and, and need some help there. Sure. You know, we were talking before the call about Tasha Yurick and her, her book, Insight on Self-Awareness. One of the things we've been discussing quite a bit with our managers and has been helpful to me is to truly be self-aware, meaning you're, you're feeling frustrated, you're feeling isolated, take a step back, take a few deep breaths, and really try to figure out where's the frustration coming from. Is it is it because you are isolated and you need some additional support? Is it a family situation? Is it frustration with the work you're doing? Try to pin down for yourself what it is that's contributing to those, those feelings. And then, and that's not always easy to do, right? But if you can do that, then you can reach out and ask for some support and do that without any, um, oh, I say shame, shame's not the right word, but that you can reach out and ask people for help um, without any, without any pretense and, and say, this is how I'm feeling and I'm trying to figure out why I'm so frustrated or down. Um, I think it might be this, what do you think and can you help me? And I think that makes a world of difference if you can do that. All right. Well, Mark, thank you. That is great advice. And it's been, it's been awesome to have you back on the show. We'll have to have you on again sometime. So thanks for sharing these insights and please take care and stay safe out there. Uh, you too. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Mark Davis. And thanks to Care Credit for sponsoring this week's show. Learn more about how Care Credit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com/mgma-podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.